Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Bibles, I invite you to turn with me in them to the gospel according to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I'll begin reading in verse 2. Would you stand with me as I read God's word and reverence and respect for the Holy Scriptures? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the shoulder for his staff, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of, the ho of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, this is, to, this is the one to whom you will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at your word. Give us ears to hear your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Fathers have a profound impact and influence on the lives of their children. So much so that it's probably difficult to measure or to get to a final conclusion of just how much they affect the development of a child. Whether present or absent, whether cold or warm, whether harsh or gentle, serious or lighthearted, disagreeable or fun, angry or calm, godless or godly, 
the life and person of a father will affect his child. And that will either be for the better or that will be for the worse. The point this morning is not to try to diagnose all of our daddy issues. We might blame our fathers for certain things. We might know of all of our father's shortcomings. No earthly father is perfect. But it does come with a few recognitions. And one of those recognitions is we are here because we have a father. And a father is what we all need. As we've been looking through Isaiah 9, particularly verse 6, we've been going through these titles that are given to this child or this son, and it's now at this point where we are holding up this diamond of the divine name of this child, and we're turning this diamond to catch another glimpse of this glory and this majesty that we see in this diamond. Another glimmer of its brilliance. And with this majestic shining of this divine name, it speaks to something that we need. At the very basic level, it's a relational need. It's a personal need. And it says to us, this one, this child, this son, will have a profound and enduring impact upon your life. We come this morning to this title, Everlasting Father. And it comes with a question for each of us. Are you willing to be fathered? How would you answer that question? We all need to be fathered. And here is the beauty of this. We never outgrow our need to be fathered. If you think that your need to be fathered fits within the parameter of 18 years at the beginning of your life, you're grossly mistaken. You need to be fathered from the time you're born to eternity. So this morning, as we're gathered together, and as you consider that question, am I willing to be fathered? Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter your station in life. Doesn't matter what you've gone through or what you haven't gone through. Doesn't matter even how your earthly father was. On a foundational, fundamental level this morning, are you willing to be father? It's important here, I think we clear up potential confusion. When we speak of the triune God of the Trinity, we say that he is one God in three persons. Those persons are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Isaiah 9, verse 6, does not use this word father as reference to the trinity so when he says everlasting father he is not talking about the heavenly father the first person of the trinity 
Who is he talking about? He's talking about the son, the child. This child, this son, will be called everlasting father. Notice an irony here, too. A child, a son. What will he be? Everlasting father. How can this be? This idea, everlasting father, carries with it connotations of a king and the king's rule. As a father cares for his children, so the king cares for his subjects. And so far in these first two facets of the divine name, wonderful counselor and mighty God, those have communicated to us the actions and the accomplishments of this king. So he is Emmanuel, God with us. What does this Emmanuel do? Well, he established the plan of God according to his wonderful wisdom. He's the wonderful counselor. And then he executed the plan of God according to his infinite might. He is the mighty God. Now, everlasting father and prince of peace turn us in a different direction. They give us descriptions of the conditions the king's birth will bring. So this king, this child's going to be born, this son is going to be born. What is his kingdom going to be like? What's the rule that those who are his will live under? What will they know? What is it like to live in the kingdom of this king? Here is what it's like. Imagine the best father you can imagine. Imagine the best care that you can think of. Imagine a perfect dad. And now imagine that you will never lose that dad. He is the everlasting father who is caring for his people through his rule and through his reign. Think about that for just a moment. If you could describe what you would want this rule and this reign over you to look like, if you you had the ability to say, okay, I'm going to live underneath this king, and this is what I want it to be like to live in the kingdom. And maybe just there, if you have your notes there, you could just jot a few of those things down. What What do I want this kingdom to be like? What are some things that would be absolutely necessary for me to have if I was going to live underneath this king? Here's one thing that we get contrasted with really quickly. This is not a temporary reign. This is an everlasting reign. Other kings of this world, presidents, governors, dictators, whatever we might say, These earthly rulers, their reign is temporary. It doesn't last. We can't trust those kings or those rulers. They will come. They will go. The security that they can bring to our lives is limited. The king, this king, the one who is Messiah, possesses a divine attribute for he is eternal. Everlasting father could also be translated father of eternity. 
the veil of this child and this son is pulled back a little further. And with this facet, we see him not only as the wonderful counselor, not only as the mighty God, but as the eternal one ruling over his people with the utmost care and compassion. And so what is this condition then that we live in under this king who is called everlasting father? Well, one point this morning, and everything's going to flow out of this one point Jesus is the, everla- is the everlasting Father who is our provider and protector. Jesus is the everlasting Father who is our provider and our protector. On one level, this makes sense to us. What is it that a father should do? These are, are two things, provide and protect, that would come to our minds rather naturally. But Isaiah unpacks what this provision and this protection looks like. So let's let's call upon Isaiah and the rest of the book of Isaiah to help us understand the rule and the reign of this everlasting Father who is our provider and our protector. And we start in Isaiah 63. So turn with me there. Look at that with me. Isaiah 63, 16. Isaiah 63, 16, for you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, you, O Yahweh, are our father. What's happening in this verse? Well, they would have known Abraham to be their father. If you were an Israelite, this is what you would say, Abraham is our father. But now there's a problem that's come up in Isaiah's day. Abraham does not know us. He's not as a reliable father as we thought he was. And Israel, the one who, whose name they bear, they're Israelites, does not acknowledge us. So Abraham, our father, Israel, from whom we get our name, our namesake, they're long gone. They're unreliable. They're untrustworthy. They've forsaken us. They've abandoned us. But what's the sense of security? Who is going to provide for them? Who is going to protect them? Yahweh himself. You, O Lord, are our father. Abraham will disappoint. Israel will disappoint. But Lord, you will not disappoint. Yahweh, you are our father. Those relationships are dead. The Lord is the one that they recognize who will truly provide and protect. So they call out to him as a caring and merciful father. Would you hear your own heart and your own soul echo through this verse? Perhaps it's your own father. Perhaps he's abandoned you. Perhaps he's not reliable. Perhaps he's not trustworthy. Perhaps he's hurt you. Oh, Lord, you are my father. A father that doesn't fail. A father that's always there. The father that you need. 
turn back a little bit to Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22, verse 21. Uh, just to, so Isaiah 22, 21, we're going to jump in here in a second to this uh, section of Scripture, but what's happening, there's this um, man named Shebna who was over the household of Israel who was going to be removed. And there's another man, the servant Eliakim, who is going to replace him. So let me start here in verse 20, Isaiah 22, verse 20. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and I will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand. And look at this. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He is going to care for them as a father. He's going to act kind of as this king. And in fact, you go on, and what happens? He has the key to the house of David. He has some authority. He has a protecting role. He's going to take care of you. He is the one that I'm, I'm setting up to care for you as a father. So here's this connection between this, this kind of kingly, authoritative role that Eliakim will have. In fact, what's interesting is that verse 22, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. In the book of Revelation, we read Jesus is the one who has the key to the house of David. So here, Eliakim is a type of Christ. Who is <laughs> our everlasting father. But now I want to jump into this idea. What does the everlasting father provide? He's the provider. He is the protector. What is it that he gives to us? What's this rule like? Would it be surprising to know that the everlasting father provides everlasting things? <laughs> that is what flows from his gracious hand to us. And it's in, accord with, it's in accordance with his nature, with who he is. How great is the everlasting Father's provision for us in that he does not just merely provide for our daily needs, providing just enough to get by, but his provision is unending as he provides what is unending. These are eternal. This is quite unlike how we provide. My provision, what I can give, only goes so far. It has limits. It is finite, but not so with Jesus Christ. Look at these, what he provides. These are not limited. There is no end or expiration date. It's not enjoy these provisions while they last because they're going to run out. No, these provisions last forever. And oh, if we could wrap our puny minds around this, we would then see why there is to be ceaseless praise and unending thanksgiving flowing from our hearts and lives. It's the only right response to the everlasting nature of what the everlasting Father has given to us. And so Isaiah gives a beautiful mosaic of what the everlasting Father has provided. So first, look at Isaiah 45, 17. Isaiah 45, 17. But Israel is saved by the Lord 
with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. So what has the everlasting Father provided here? Everlasting salvation. A salvation that has limits, a salvation that only lasts so long is not true salvation. Not true salvation that we want or that we need. Think of it, if, if, if it was just a limited salvation, you will be saved for so long, but then, then you will not be saved anymore. What kind of peace would that bring to your mind? None, zero, zilch. But what kind of peace does everlasting salvation bring to your mind? You are his forevermore, and he is yours forevermore. This is a salvation that goes on and on and on without end. Without this everlasting salvation, one is condemned for all eternity. Knowing this everlasting salvation, the, the the encouragement, the hope here is you shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. If you don't know this everlasting salvation, that is your end. To be put to shame and confounded to all eternity. But to know Christ, to have received this everlasting salvation with, from Him, gives great hope, gives great encouragement. And here's the beauty of this everlasting salvation. It's a salvation by grace. Not of works. Wouldn't that be awful? I'm going to give you an everlasting salvation, but you have to work for it. Well, how long do I have to work for it? Well, take a guess. But what grace has been given to us where we've been given an everlasting salvation and what did we do to contribute to that salvation? Nothing. Well, maybe one thing, we sinned. That's what we contributed to our salvation. We were the sinners. But God in his grace and his mercy gave his son to give us everlasting salvation and we didn't have to do anything? How amazing is this everlasting salvation that he has given to us. Was that one of your conditions in this kingdom <laughs> that you had written down? Everlasting salvation? How about another one? Isaiah 54, 8. Isaiah 54, 8. Isaiah 54, 8, in overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The everlasting Father provides everlasting love. In this verse, there's a contrast, isn't there? What's the contrast? A temporary or momentary anger of the Lord is contrasted with the everlasting love of the Lord. In this context, the anger of the Lord was seen through the Babylonian exile that the people had experienced because of their sin and disobedience to the Lord. That exile was momentary. That anger, that judgment that they would experience was momentary, but 
His love has the final word. He is the Redeemer who doesn't extinguish them in his wrath, but saves them to lavish his everlasting love upon them. Those who are saved with an everlasting salvation know this everlasting love. And this love is expressed through the Lord's compassion. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God is love, and his love is everlasting and is given to us through this everlasting Father. A child may ask a parent, how much do you love me? And the parent may open wide their arms and say, I love you this much. How much more if we were to ask our everlasting Father? How much do you love me? That he would hold out his infinite arms and say, I love you this much. It is a love without complete comprehension, a love without measure, a love without end. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. His is a kingdom of everlasting salvation. His is a kingdom of everlasting love. But there's more. Isaiah 55, verse 3. Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The everlasting Father provides an everlasting covenant. Why does he do this? Because this everlasting Father is the final and future David. This is what the future David does, and this is the supreme expression of God's steadfast and sure love. It's this future David who signs, seals, and delivers an everlasting covenant, a new covenant established by his own blood. This is a covenant that will not end. These are promises that he makes to us, commitments that are made to us that will never become obsolete, that he will never break. Like a marriage covenant. This is the covenant that we, Christ's bride, have with our bridegroom, Christ. An everlasting covenant. Will not be broken. How do we know? Jesus shed his own blood. Everlasting salvation. Everlasting love. Everlasting covenant must be it, right? 
There's more. Isaiah 35, verse 10. Isaiah 35, verse 10. Isaiah 35, 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The everlasting Father provides everlasting joy to his people. We have been bought with the price of the sacrifice of the Son of God. And we are those who have received everlasting joy. Everlasting joy because our everlasting home is secure. Everlasting joy because everlasting glory is ours. Everlasting joy because our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. What kind of joy is this? How often is this not the kind of joy that you and I experience? Our joy is up and down, hot and cold, filling us up or perplexingly absent. How do I get this everlasting joy? I want it on my head. I want to be anointed with this everlasting joy. The reason why this everlasting joy is so elusive to us is that we base our joy on other things. If your joy is tied to your circumstances, you won't know everlasting joy. If your joy is tied to other people, you won't know everlasting joy. If your joy is tied to your possessions, what you have, how much money is in your bank account, you won't know everlasting joy. If your is joy is based upon anything that is temporary in this world, it won't last. Everlasting joy comes from knowing, believing in, following, living for, and loving the everlasting Father, Jesus Christ. The beginning of everlasting joy in your life is the Christ-desiring life. If you want Christ more than anything else, if you love Him, if you want to know Him more, guess what? Everlasting joy, you will know. If my joy is dependent upon Him, that joy will never disappoint. That joy will never leave. That joy will not be half-hearted or overcome by the cares of this world. Ultimately, it is an everlasting joy that has as its source the everlasting Father. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your joy can be full? full in Jesus Christ? Or do you say, well, later, in the future? In the future, I'll know fullness of joy. Did Jesus say these things in the future? Like, one day, 
your joy will be complete. But today, well, tough. Do you believe these verses? Do you believe when Jesus says, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full? Are you fighting for that verse in your life or are you fighting against that verse in your life? Are you kicking against the goads? What are the goads? The goads are like these sharp pointed sticks that you would put on the sides like of an oxen or a beast of burden, right? And, and if the, the beast of burden went away that you didn't want it to go either to the left or the right, those like jabby sticks would, would, would poke them in the sides, right? So that they would stay on the, the straight and narrow. So when, when it, Jesus says he wants his joy to be in us, and that he wants our joy to be full, are we trying to veer to the right or to the left and be jabbing by those sticks in our side and we're wondering, why do I feel this way? Because you want joy in something other than Jesus. Because because we get deceived and we think that temporary joy is better than everlasting joy. Because we think all this world has to offer and all of its shininess and all of its promises and all of the things that it says will be so great in this life. If we believe all of those deceptions, we will never know everlasting joy. Why does Jesus say this? Why does Jesus say that he wants his joy to be in us and that he wants our joy to be full? Is it because he's an optimist? Is it because he's looking through the world in rose-colored glasses? Is it because Jesus isn't acquainted with grief, suffering, or pain? Is it because he doesn't know the agony that is lodged in your heart? It's none of these reasons. But it's because he sees the world as it really is, and he sees it according to the grand purpose and plan of God. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the victory. He knows the glory of overcoming that the saints experience in him. Is that the source of joy? Jesus has overcome sin and the grave and death. Everlasting joy. It comes back to that question, doesn't it, again? Are you willing to be fathered? Sometimes with my children, there becomes a question that that needs to be posed to them. When I am telling them to do something or requiring something of them that they don't want to do, or that might not be according to their plan, (laughs) imagine that. Do you trust me? Do you trust me as your father to do what's best for you? It might not be what you want, 
It might not be what you had envisioned for yourself, but do you trust me? And if you trust me, there can be joy in that. Because I know what's best. Those two questions go hand in hand, don't they? Are you willing to be fathered? Do you trust him? Or are you hedging your bets? I'll trust him if... No, no. I'll trust him. Period. All the time. In everything. In every way. Everlasting salvation. Everlasting love. Everlasting covenant. Everlasting joy. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 56, verse 5. Isaiah 56, verse 5. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. The everlasting Father provides us with an everlasting name. An everlasting name because it's a name that's based upon His name. (laughs) How many people long to make a name for themselves? A name that people will recognize. A name that, that people will admire. A name that will be esteemed and honored. Dreams of grandeur are all brought back down to earth by the book of Ecclesiastes when it says, For of the wise as of the fool... There will be no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. What is Solomon saying there in Ecclesiastes? You're going to make a name for yourself? The fool and the wise, their names are long forgotten. You can do everything possible to ensure that your name endures, that you can be wise, you can have it all, but there is no enduring remembrance. Maybe we think we can circumvent such a fate. Maybe my name will not be forgotten. Maybe it'll be carried on through my family and the lives of my children. That brings us back to this beautiful verse in Isaiah 56, 5. Who is this everlasting name being given to? Well, go back up to verse 4. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Do you see the love and the graciousness of God in these verses? I don't want to be crude, but the eunuchs were to be cut off out of the temple. There is no way that the eunuch could perpetuate his name. It was impossible. If you thought Abraham having a child at 100 years old was impossible, a eunuch having an everlasting name, a eunuch's name being carried on, impossible. It can't happen. But these are the ones that he gives an everlasting name to, those who have no hope whatsoever. 
You have no hope of a name going on. But I will give you an everlasting name, a name better than sons and daughters. I will not cut you off from myself. I will invite you into my very presence. You will be in my presence forever and ever with this everlasting name. You will have direct access to me into God's divine presence. You will receive a blessedness that can never be forfeited or given away. So it is with those who bear the name of Christ, although rightly deserving to be cut off, we've been given an everlasting name and eternal access to the throne of God. Another one, Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, verses 19 through 20. The sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended." The everlasting Father provides everlasting light, which is providing himself. The people that have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Not a flickering, unstable, unreliable light. No, the blazing light of the Lord has shone upon them and so also upon us. And it's in these verses which look ahead to eternal glory. That we see here, there is no longer need for sun or moon. These God created to rule over the day and over the night, but they are no longer needed because now there is the unchanging rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, consummated and established forever that will shine out in the brightness of his glory. And we who have received an everlasting salvation we who have been given an everlasting love, we who are secure in an everlasting covenant, who have everlasting joy upon our heads, who now have an everlasting name that will be bathed in the everlasting light of the King of glory and will be changed into his likeness and will remain in his presence forever and ever. What is this? What is this kind of kingdom that we will live in? Is this not what we want? Is this not what we long for? What is given to those who believe it is everlasting life? John 6, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has everlasting life, eternal life. What does this mean? Everlasting Father provide, but ultimately the remedy for mankind under the curse of this fallen world. Everlasting or eternal life. What is this? It speaks more than merely of a duration. This is what we might think. It's a life that goes on eternally. It has no end. That is correct, but that's not everything. It also speaks to the quality of life. Look at the quality of life given by the everlasting statements in Isaiah. This is the everlasting life. 
We do not have to wait to experience only in the future. We will experience it in full measure in the future, but we are also to experience everlasting and eternal life now, before the end. Everlasting life begins in the new birth. It is the eternal life of the eternal word shining in us now and forevermore. This is the amazing part of this eternal life, that it comes through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The everlasting Father hung upon the tree. The everlasting Father, when it looked like he was coming to an end, when it looked like he was not reliable, when it looked like he could not be trusted, was shining forth as our everlasting Father and making this everlasting kingdom secure. Everlasting salvation, everlasting love, everlasting covenant, everlasting joy, everlasting name, everlasting light, everlasting life, all find their security in the cross. What kind of plan is this? kind of life is this? We have that saying, all good things must come to an end. But that's not true with Jesus. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, we come to receive your word. We desire to live for our everlasting Father. It seems unimaginable, almost incomprehensible what the, what the everlasting Father has provided for us. It seems unimaginable how he's even protected us through his own death and resurrection. To shield us from the wrath of God so that we might receive his righteousness. To receive the keys to Zion's city. where we'll be with the king of Zion forevermore. Forgive us when we lose sight of the everlasting life and everlasting life that we know now. Forgive us when we succumb to not trusting, not believing that our everlasting Father has the best intentions for us. We are those who need to be ever influenced and affected by it 
our Father. So let us, let us continue to look to Him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand as we sing this last.